Hello, I'm Paulette Lee, and you're listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. If you're over 60, you're still worthy of being heard. We usually hear that it's older women being the target of scams, and I'll talk about that later. First, though, I want to talk about a woman and a young one at that, about whom everyone is talking these days. Who hasn't seen Inventing Anna on Netflix? I watched, though I had to do it in spaced out chunks rather than binging because I really didn't like the acting. However, once I read how this was all, well, mostly, the true story of Anna Sorokin, the Russian-born 25-year-old who posed as German heiress Anna Delvey in order to con New York's high society into funding her dream of a Manhattan luxury arts and social club, I became fascinated, not by her, but by those who were roped in and duped by her. Anna is currently in the custody of the Immigration Service facing deportation for having overstayed her visa. This is after serving three of her 12-year sentence for grand larceny. But she's very smart and very wily, and my guess is she'll land on her feet and come out ahead. Shimon Hyatt also came out ahead. He called himself Simon Levevyev, the Israeli son of a wealthy diamond broker. He was Israeli, or he is Israeli, but he wasn't the son of a wealthy diamond broker. And he Ponzi schemed women across Europe into believing they were in genuine romantic relationships before asking them for money that he used to romance and then take from his next mark. His story was featured in the Netflix documentary, The Tinder Swindler, as you can see, or you can hear I've been binging on uh, Netflix. So it seems everyone around those two and, and many other scam artists must be very, very dumb. Or are they? What's going on here? Well, I've never thought of myself as dumb, but gullible? Well, that's something different. I had just turned 61, so that was 14 years ago, when I was scammed twice in one month. And one of those scams cost thousands of dollars. My husband and I had just started running the B&B we'd purchased in Gettysburg. We'd only been in business for a few months, and I was looking forward to October because I was told that October would be our best month. And it started with a call from an English woman who wanted to know, since our theme was international, if I could make an authentic English breakfast. I told her, well, I know what that is, and while it isn't what we typically serve, I could make it for you if you're the only guests. They were, a couple I'd say in their 70s. So I made them the requested breakfast. And then the woman started in on her litany of complaints. The sausages weren't the right kind, there was something wrong with the baked beans, the bread for the toast wasn't right, and I hadn't used real butter. There weren't enough mushrooms, the bacon wasn't thick enough, and by the way, the sheets and pillowcases on their bed did not match, the bathroom was dirty, and I should have fresh flowers in the room. This, she harumphed, is the worst B&B we've ever stayed at. Well, being British, maybe she didn't end the sentence with a preposition. So naturally, I was very upset. Um, first, because the idea that a guest found fault with our careful ministrations so early in our endeavor, it was devastating. But secondly, she was wrong about everything. Well, except the butter. I had been using not butter because I was considering our guest's cholesterol, but... I never did again. 
Fresh flowers every time we changed a room wasn't reasonable. The sheets did match the pillowcases. They were all white, except the pillowcases had lace on them, while the sheets that I ironed did not. And as for the bathroom being dirty, well, my husband really took offense. Your bathroom absolutely is not dirty, he told her. I clean the bathrooms myself, and I can assure you yours was spotless. Now, how can we resolve this? Asked my ever peacemaking late husband. <laughs> so I wasn't going to be so amenable. I told them I'd refund all their money, but they had to leave, and, and you're not welcome to stay the second night. So then the husband finally spoke up. No, that, that's okay. We ate breakfast. So, and then I saw it. The old bat, well, she was older than I, put her hand on his thigh to stop him. That's fine, she said. We'll leave shortly. They marched upstairs to their room to pack, and I turned to my husband. We've been had, I told him. This was her plan all along, to get a free night's stay. Once they left, I went online and emailed every lodging in Gettysburg and told them, don't accept a reservation from these people. They're scammers. Our second scam was far worse. I received an inquiry from someone who wanted to fill our small B&B for several days in December. This was a dream come true. December would be a slow month otherwise. The guests would be from another country, Greece, I think it was, so it would be accompanied by a translator. There was a complicated financial arrangement. Uh, all right, I'll skip to the chase. The number and security on the credit card the caller gave me on which he had made the reservations had been stolen. The actual owner had that card in his possession and the scammers had racked up more than $14,000 in one day on that card, according to my bank. We lost $5,000 of which insurance on the B&B paid only 2000 So I learned a very hard lesson. A good scam is a good scam. I also learned to be very suspicious of that three or four digit CVV or card verification value number. It's not secure, obviously. Back to a good scam. It addresses the mark's need, bypasses the mark's initial reluctance or suspicion with logical sounding responses, and perhaps this is the most powerful tool of the scammer. It reinforces the mark's self-image. Being scammed apparently has little to do with the victim's intelligence. In fact, some research shows that the more intelligent a person is, the greater their likelihood to be duped. Evidently, I'm very bright. Or as one person puts it, smart people are better marks because they see the opportunity quickly and believe themselves clever for doing so. The con artist leverages the smart person's own overinflated perception of their cleverness and intelligence to make the con work. Canadian social psychologist Vanessa Bonds, who studies and writes on influence, persuasion, and compliance, doesn't consider the Sorokin and Levevia phenomenon an unusual glitch of human nature. Rather, she says, despite the belief that people are skeptical by nature, primed to shout gotcha at any mistake or faux pas, this simply isn't the case. Research shows that people tend to default to trusting others over distrusting them, believing them over doubting them, and going along with someone's self-presentation rather than embarrassing them by calling them out. Oh, I think that does describe me. 
In her September 2021 article for ARP, author Marie Rohde cites Federal Trade Commission statistics that show that older adults lost $600 million to fraud in 2020 when the pandemic fueled spikes in almost all top categories of fraud. Those top categories are online shopping scams, business imposter frauds, investment frauds, romance scams, tech support scams, sweepstakes and related frauds, and family and friend imposters. Two other categories of fraud cited by the FTC are timeshare sales and resales and government imposter fraud, think taxes and Medicare. So the um, average annual loss from fraud ranges from a low of $3 billion to some $36 billion. And uh, in addition to smart people who think they're smart, the FBI says the best mark are, quote, seniors who are often targeted because they tend to be trusting and polite. They also usually have financial savings, own a home, have good credit, all of which make them attractive to scammers. Additionally, seniors may be less inclined to report fraud because they don't know how or they may be too ashamed at having been scammed. They might also uh, be concerned that their relatives will lose confidence in their abilities to manage their own financial affairs. And when an elderly victim does report a crime, they may be unable to supply detailed information to investigators. The DC-based nonprofit Women's Institute for a Secure Retirement, or uh, WISER as they call themselves, um, says that older women are more likely to be scam victims or victims of what they call financial elder abuse than older men, and these are their reasons. And they won't be a surprise to you. There are more older women than men, especially when they get up in age. There are nearly twice as many women ages 85 and over than there are men. And the older someone is, the more likely they are to be targeted by financial scammers. Older women are more likely than men to live alone and thus are easier prey because they don't have someone aware of their daily actions or who can offer a second opinion about whether something seems suspicious. They're often lonely and susceptible to the disingenuous companionship or friendship a scammer might offer. They're also often the sole controllers of their property and income, meaning scammers only need to convince one person to sign away their assets rather than two. Older women are more likely to live in poverty and thus probably don't have the financial safeguards more wealthy people do. And they're more likely to want to take advantage of an opportunity for, quote, easy money. Remember, fraud victims aren't dumb. They have a need that the good scammer skillfully exploits. So why do people scam others? Are they psychopaths? Uh, let's, I'll go down the rabbit hole here. I sent, uh, it sent me looking up the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath. The differences aren't all that distinct and in fact overlap and are muddled, so I did not get clarity on this. So who are the scammers, especially if they're women? Take, for example, former Silicon Valley superstar CEO, 37-year-old Elizabeth Holmes, who will be sentenced in late September on four counts of fraud for claiming her now-defunct blood testing company, Theranos, could do a lot of things it actually could not do. 
while she awaits sentencing. She's free on bail, living in a very nice house, probably won't serve anywhere near the maximum penalty of 20 years imprisonment, and she stands to make millions from media companies hungry to make a profit on her story. Donald Cressy was an American criminologist who specialized in organized crime, prisons, criminology, and the sociology of criminal law, also white-collar crime. He established the theory of a fraud triangle, which identifies three specific factors that encourage someone to commit fraud. Pressure, that can originate from a variety of sources, from the need to pay bills to feeding an addiction. Number two is opportunity, which can originate from a, uh, sorry, an opportunity, usually low risk in that the fraudster thinks there's little chance of getting caught. And number three is rationalization, justifying what they're doing uh, so that they can assume they're actually being rational. There are other theories about who scammers are and why they do it. Some say it's narcissism. I'm more important and the rules don't apply to me, so I can do whatever I want. Take, for example, the celebrities who paid off the admissions office at the University of Southern California to get their children admitted. Sociopathy does come into play when researchers study scams, especially the absence of empathy among those who commit the fraud. They figure it's the Marxist fault he or she has cheated, served him right. Then there are those who start out small and uh, it just grows, like Bernie Madoff, the former NASDAQ chairman who stole millions from his investment clients in a decades-long Ponzi scheme. There's an interesting concept called bounded ethicality. Personally, I always wonder about any adjective attached to the word ethical, where the perpetrator considers doing something unethical as the only way to create or save a greater good. So paradoxically, they scam because they believe what they're doing is actually ethical. In her 2019 article for Forbes, Why Do Some People Commit Fraud? Psychologists Say It's Complicated, former science contributor Sarah Watts suggests bounded ethicality might have been Elizabeth Holmes's rationale. This might explain why Holmes said repeatedly, Watts writes, that she wanted to make a difference with Theranos, allegedly lying about the company's revenue and its capabilities to test blood it may be that, like many other scammers, Holmes believed deeply in the mission of her work and was willing to lie to make it happen. In her article, Women Who Commit Fraud, Observations and Musings of a Clinician, Amy Lawrence, a clinician in the New Zealand public criminal justice sector, writes that research suggests that women who commit white-collar crime are more likely to do so due to family needs than to fund high living, unlike their male counterparts. She says, what I often hear is how social pressure to be successful and gain financial freedom is inherently linked to a sense of control and independence. Gaining a sense of power, control, and independence through fraudulent offenses appears to be especially present for women who have experienced a fundamental lack of these uh, through abusive intimate partner relationships. There are plenty of resources available if you want to know about and or report suspected fraud. You might want to grab a pen and paper and keep hitting pause to write these down.
The FBI Internet Crime Complaint Center lists common types of scams involving the Internet and has prevention tips and a link to file a complaint at www.ice, that's lowercase i, lowercase c, the numeral 3, dot gov, G-O-V. You can also get information on elder abuse from the National Center on Elder Abuse, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the Postal Inspection Service, if it involves the U.S. mail, or the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging, but they have a much easier to remember online name of usaging.org. The U.S. Department of Justice's Elder Justice Initiative has an elder fraud hotline. That's 833-372-8311, as well as a map of local agencies that can help. And if you suspect Social Security fraud or you receive a call from a major retailer demanding immediate payment, you can call the Office of Inspector General at 800-323-8603. My favorite scam warning system, though, comes, uh, I found it on YouTube, and it's called Stop Senior Scams Acting Program. They combine acting and humor to get across the message that you and I both know and need to remember, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. (sighs) As I learned the hard way. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. And I hope you'll tune in next week when we will be observing International Women's Day with a special guest. Until then, hope you have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.